0: CHAPTER thirty five OF IZZY POPENJOY. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicholas Clifford. IZZY POPENJOY by Antony Trollope. CHAPTER thirty five. I Deny It During the whole of that night, Lord George lay suffering from his troubles, and his wife lay thinking about them though the matter affected her future life almost more materially than his she had the better courage to maintain her and a more sustained conviction it might be that she would have to leave her home and go back to the deanery and in that there would be utter ruin to her happiness let the result however be as it would she could never own herself to have been one tittle astray and she was quite sure that her father would support her in that position the old ruat chelum feeling was strong within her She would do anything she could for her husband, short of admitting, by any faintest concession, that she had been wrong in reference to Captain de Baron. She would talk to him, coax him, implore him, reason with him, forgive him, love him, caress him. She would try to be gentle with him this coming morning. But if he were obdurate in blaming her, she would stand on her own innocence and fight to the last gasp. He was supported by no such spirit of pugnacity. He felt it to be his duty to withdraw his wife from the evil influence of this man's attractions, but felt at the same time that he might possibly lack the strength to do so. And then, what is the good of withdrawing a wife, if the wife thinks that she ought not to be withdrawn? There are sins as to which there is no satisfaction in visiting the results with penalties. The sin is in the mind, or in the heart, and is complete in its enormity, even though there be no result. He was miserable, because she had not at once acknowledged that she never ought to see this man again, as soon as she had heard the horrors which her husband had told her. "'George,' she said to him at breakfast the next morning, "'do not let us go on in this way together.' "'In what way?' "'Not speaking to each other, condemning each other.' "'I have not condemned you, and I don't know why you should condemn me.' "'Because I think that you suspect me without a cause.' "'I only tell you what people say.' "'If people told me bad things of you, George, that you were this or that or the other, should I believe them?' "'A woman's name is everything.' "'Then do you protect my name? But I deny it. Her name should be as nothing when compared to her conduct. I don't like to be evil spoken of, but I can bear that, or anything else, if you do not think evil of me, you and papa.' This reference to her father brought back the black cloud which her previous words had tended to dispel. "'Tell me that you do not suspect me.' "'I never said that I suspected you of anything.' "'Say that you are sure that in regard to this man "'I never said or did or thought anything that was wrong. "'Come, George, have I not a right to expect that from you?' "'She had come round the table and was standing over him, "'touching his shoulder. "'Even then it would be better that you should go away from him.' "'No. "'I say that it would be better, Mary.' "'And I say that it would be worse, much worse. "'What, will you bid your wife make so much of any man "'as to run away from him? "'Will you let the world say that you think "'I cannot be safe in his company? "'I will not consent to that, George. "'The running away shall not be mine. "'Of course you can take me away if you please, "'but I shall feel—' "'Well?' "'You know what I shall feel. "'I told you last night.' "'What do you want me to do?' he asked after a pause. "'Nothing.' "'I am to hear these stories, and not even to tell you that I have heard them?' "'I did not say that, George. I suppose it is better that you should tell me, but I think you should say at the same time that you know them to be false.' "'Even though they were false, there was that doctrine of Caesar's wife which she would not understand. I think I should be told, and then left to regulate my own ways accordingly.' This was mutinously imperious, and yet he did not know how to convince her of her mutiny. Through it all he was cowed by the remembrance of that love-letter, which of course was in her mind, but which she was either too generous or too wise to mention. He almost began to think that it was wisdom rather than generosity, feeling himself to be more cowed by her reticence than he would have been by her speech. "'You imagine, then, that a husband should never interfere.' "'not to protect a wife from that "'from which she is bound to protect herself. "'If he has to do so, she is not worth the trouble, "'and he had better get rid of her. "'It is like preventing a man from drinking "'by locking up the wine. "'That has to be done sometimes.' "'It shan't be done to me, George. "'You must either trust me, or we must part.' "'I do trust you,' he said at last. "'Then let there be an end of all this trouble. "'Tell Susanna that you trust me.' FOR YOUR BROTHER AND THAT DISAPPOINTED YOUNG WOMAN I CARE NOTHING, BUT IF I AM TO SPEND MY TIME AT CROSS HALL, WHATEVER THEY MAY THINK, I SHOULD NOT WISH THEM TO BELIEVE THAT YOU THOUGHT EVIL OF ME. AND, GEORGE, DON'T SUPPOSE THAT BECAUSE I SAY THAT I WILL NOT RUN AWAY FROM CAPTAIN DE BARON, ALL THIS WILL GO FOR NOTHING WITH ME. I WILL NOT AVOID CAPTAIN DE BARON, BUT I WILL BE CAREFUL TO GIVE NO CAUSE FOR ill-natured WORDS. THEN SHE PUT HER ARM AROUND HIS NECK AND KISSED HIM, AND HAD CONQUERED HIM. When he went away from the house he had another great trouble before him. He had not seen Mrs. Houghton as yet, since his wife had found that love-letter, but she had written to him often. She had sent notes to his club, almost wild, with love and anger, with that affectation of love and anger which some women know how to assume and which so few men know how to withstand. It was not taken to be quite real, even by Lord George, and yet he could not withstand it. Mrs. Houghton, who understood the world thoroughly, had become quite convinced that Lady George had quarrelled with her. The two women had been very intimate ever since Lady George had been in town, and now, for the last few days, they had not seen each other. Mrs. Houghton had called twice, and had been refused. Then she had written, and had received no answer. She knew then that Mary had discovered something, and of course attributed her lover's absence to the wife's influence. But it did not occur to her that she should, on this account, give up her intercourse with Lord George. Scenes, quarrels, reconciliations, troubles, recriminations, jealousies, resolves, petty triumphs, and the general upsetting of the happiness of other people-these were to her the sweets of what she called a passion. To give it all up because her lover's wife had found her out, and because her lover was in trouble would be to abandon her love just when it was producing the desired fruit. She wrote short letters and long letters, angry letters and most affectionate letters to Lord George at his club, entreating him to come to her, and almost driving him out of his wits. He had from the first determined that he would go to her. He had even received his wife's sanction for doing so. But knowing how difficult it would be to conduct such an interview had hitherto put off the evil hour." but now a day and an hour had been fixed and the day and the hour had come the hour had very nearly come when he left his house there was still time for him to sit for a while at his club and think what he would say to this woman he wished to do what was right there was not a man in england less likely to have intended to amuse himself with a second love within twelve months of his marriage than lord george germain he had never been a lothario had never thought himself to be gifted in that way in the first years of his manhood when he had been shut up at manor cross looking after his mother's limited means with a full conviction that it was his duty to sacrifice himself to her convenience he had been apt to tell himself that he was one of those men who have to go through life without marrying or loving though strikingly handsome he had never known himself to be handsome He had never thought of himself to be clever, or bright, or agreeable. High birth had been given to him, and a sense of honour. Of those gifts he had been well aware and proud enough, but had taken credit to himself for nothing else. Then had come that startling episode of his life, in which he had fallen in love with Adelaide de Baron, and then the fact of his marriage with Mary Lovelace looking back at it now he could hardly understand how it had happened that he had either fallen in love or married he certainly was not now the least in love with mrs houghton and though he did love his wife dearly though the more he saw of her the more he admired her yet his marriage had not made him happy he had to live on her money which galled him and to be assisted by the dean's money which was wormwood to him and he found himself to be driven whither he did not wish to go and to be brought into perils from which his experience did not suffice to extricate him. He had already repented the step he had taken in regard to his brother, knowing that it was the dean who had done it, and not he himself. Had he not married, he might well have left the battle to be fought in after years, when his brother should be dead, and very probably he himself also. He was aware that he must be very firm with Mrs. Houghton, Come what might, he must give her to understand quite clearly that all love-making must be over between them. The horrors of such a condition of things had been made much clearer to him than before by his own anxiety in reference to Captain de Baron, But he knew himself to be too soft-hearted for such firmness. If he could send someone else, how much better it would be! But, alas, this was a piece of work which no deputy could do for him, nor could a letter serve as a deputy let him write as carefully as he might he must say things which would condemn him utterly were they to find their way into mr houghton's hands one terrible letter had gone astray and why not another she had told him to be in berkeley square at two and he was there very punctually he would at the moment have given much to find the house full of people but she was quite alone he had thought that she would receive him with a storm of tears but when he entered she was radiant with smiles. Then he remembered how on a former occasion she had deceived him, making him believe that all her lures to him meant little or nothing, just when he had determined to repudiate them because he had feared that they meant so much. He must not allow himself to be won in that way again. He must be firm, even though she smiled. "'What is all this about?' she said in an affected whisper, as soon as the door was closed. He looked very grave, and shook his head. "'Thou canst not say I did it, and never shake thy gory locks at me. That wife of yours has found out something, and has found it out from you, my lord.' "'Yes, indeed.' "'What has she found out?' "'She read a letter to me, which you sent to the club.' "'Then I think it very indecent behaviour on her part. Does she search her husband's correspondence? I don't condescend to do that sort of thing.' It was my fault. I put it into her hand by mistake, but that does not matter. Not matter? It matters very much to me, I think. Not that I care. She cannot hurt me. But, George, was not that careless, very careless, so careless as to be unkind? Of course it was careless. And ought you not to think more of me than that? Have you not done me an injury, sir, when you owed me all solicitude and every possible precaution?' This was not to be denied. If he chose to receive such letters, he was bound at any rate to keep them secret. But men are so foolish, so little thoughtful. What did she say, George? She behaved like an angel. Of course, wives in such circumstances always do. Just a few drops of anger, and then a deluge of forgiveness. That was it, was it not? Something like it. "'Of course, it happens every day, because men are so stupid, but at the same time so necessary. But what did she say of me? Was she an angel on my side of the house as well as yours?' "'Of course she was angry. It did not occur to her that she had been the interloper and had taken you away from me?' "'That was not so. You had married.' "'Sure, married!' "'Of course I had married. Everybody marries. You had married, but I did not suppose for that reason you would forget me altogether. People must marry as circumstances suit. It is no good going back to that old story. Why did you not come to me sooner and tell me of this tragedy? Why did you leave me to run after her and write to her?' "'I have been very unhappy.' "'So you ought to be. But things are never so bad in the wearing as in the anticipation. I DON'T SUPPOSE SHE'LL GO ABOUT DESTROYING MY NAME AND DOING ME A MISCHIEF? NEVER. BECAUSE IF SHE DID, YOU KNOW, I COULD RETALIATE. WHAT DO YOU MEAN BY THAT, MRS. Houghton? NOTHING THAT NEED DISTURB YOU, LORD GEORGE. DO NOT LOOK SUCH DAGGERS AT ME. BUT WOMEN HAVE TO BE FORBEARING TO EACH OTHER. SHE IS YOUR WIFE, AND YOU MAY BE SURE I SHALL NEVER SAY A NASTY WORD ABOUT HER, UNLESS SHE MAKES HERSELF VERY OBJECTIONABLE TO ME. Nobody can say nasty things about her. That is all right, then. And now, what have you to say to me about myself? I am not going to be gloomy because a little misfortune has happened. It is not my philosophy to cry after spilled milk. I will sit down a minute, he said, for hitherto he had been standing. Certainly, and I will sit opposite to you, for ten minutes if you wish it. I see that there is something to be said. What is it?' "'All that has passed between you and me for the last month or two "'must be forgotten.' "'Oh, that is it. "'I will not make her miserable, "'nor will I bear a burden upon my own conscience.' "'Your conscience! "'What a speech for a man to make to a woman! "'And how about my conscience? "'And that one thing further, "'you say that it must all be forgotten?' "'Yes, indeed.' "'Can you forget it?' "'I can strive to do so.' By forgetting, one means laying it aside. We remember chiefly those things which we try to remember. And you will not try to remember me, in the least? You will lay me aside, like an old garment? Because this angel has come across a scrawl, which you were too careless either to burn or to lock up? You will tell yourself to forget me, as you would a servant, that you had dismissed, much more easily than you would a dog? Is that so? I DID NOT SAY THAT I COULD DO IT EASILY. YOU SHALL NOT DO IT AT ALL. I WILL NOT BE FORGOTTEN. DID YOU EVER LOVE ME, SIR? CERTAINLY I DID. YOU KNOW THAT I DID. WHEN? HOW LONG SINCE? HAVE YOU EVER SWORN THAT YOU LOVED ME SINCE THIS ANGEL HAS BEEN YOUR WIFE? LOOKING BACK AS WELL AS HE COULD, HE RATHER THOUGHT THAT HE NEVER HAD SWORN THAT HE LOVED HER IN THESE LATTER DAYS. SHE HAD OFTEN BIDDEN HIM TO DO SO. But as far as he could recollect at the moment he had escaped the absolute utterance of the oath by some subterfuge but doubtless he had done that which had been tantamount to swearing and at any rate he could not now say that he had never sworn now you come back to tell me that it must all be forgotten was it she taught you that word if you upbraid me i will go away go sir if you dare You first betray me to your wife by your egregious folly, and then tell me that you will leave me because I have a word to say for myself. Oh, George, I expected more tenderness than that from you. There is no use in being tender. It can only produce misery and destruction. Well, of all the cold-blooded speeches I ever heard, that is the worst.' After all that has passed between us, you do not scruple to tell me that you cannot even express tenderness for me, lest it should bring you into trouble? Men have felt that before, I do not doubt, but I hardly think any man was ever hard enough to make such a speech. I wonder whether Captain de Baron is so considerate. What do you mean by that? You come here and talk to me about your angel, and then tell me that you cannot show me even the slightest tenderness, lest it should make you miserable, and you expect me to hold my tongue. I don't know why you should mention Captain De Baron. I'll tell you why, Lord George. There are five or six of us playing this little comedy. Mr. Houghton and I are married, but we have not very much to say to each other. It is the same with you and Mary. I deny it. I dare say, but at this time you know it to be true. She consoles herself with Captain De Baron, with whom Mister Houghton consoles himself. I have never taken the trouble to inquire. I hope someone is good natured to him, poor old soul. Then, as to you and me, you used, I think, to get consolation here, but such comforts cost trouble, and you hate trouble. As she said this, she wound her arm inside his. And he, angry as he was with her for speaking, as she had done of his wife, could not push her from him roughly. "'Is not that how it is, George?' "'No.' "'Then I don't think you understand the play as well as I do?' "'No, I deny it all.' "'All?' "'Everything about Mary. It's a slander to mention that man's name in connection with her, a calumny which I will not endure.' How is it, then, that they mention mine in connection with you? I am saying nothing about that. But I suppose you think of it. I am hardly of less importance to myself than Lady is to herself. I did think I was not of less importance to you. Nobody ever was or can ever be of so much importance to me as my wife, and I will be on good terms with no one who speaks evil of her. They may say what they like of me. Mr. Houghton must look to that. "'It is no business of yours, George?' He paused a moment, and then found the courage to answer her. "'No, none,' he said. Had she confined herself to her own assumed wrongs, her own pretended affection, had she contented herself with quarrelling with him for his carelessness, and had then called upon him for some renewed expression of love, he would hardly have been strong enough to withstand her.' but she could not keep her tongue from speaking evil of his wife. From the moment in which he had called Mary an angel, it was necessary to her comfort to malign the angel. She did not quite know the man, or the nature of men generally. A man, if his mind be given that way, may perhaps with safety whisper into a woman's ear that her husband is untrue to her. Such an accusation may serve his purpose, but the woman, on her side, should hold her peace about the man's wife. A man must be very degraded, indeed, if his wife be not holy to him. Lord George had been driving his wife almost mad during the last twenty-four hours by implied accusations, and yet she was to him the very holy of holies. All the Popenjoy question was as nothing to him in comparison with the sanctity of her name. AND NOW, WEAK AS HE WAS, INCAPABLE AS HE WOULD HAVE BEEN, UNDER ANY OTHER CONDITION OF MIND, OF EXTRICATING HIMSELF FROM THE MESHES WHICH THIS WOMAN WAS SPINNING FOR HIM, HE WAS enabled TO MAKE AN IMMEDIATE AND MOST SALUTARY PLUNGE BY THE GENUINE ANGER SHE HAD PRODUCED. NO, NONE, HE SAID. OH, VERY WELL, THE ANGEL IS EVERYTHING TO YOU, AND I AM NOTHING? YES, MY WIFE IS EVERYTHING TO ME. How dared you, then, come here and talk to me of love? Do you think I will stand this? That I will endure to be treated in this way? Angel, indeed! I tell you that she cares more for Jack de Baron's little finger than for your whole body. She is never happy unless he is with her. I don't think very much of my cousin Jack, but to her he is a god. It is false very well it is nothing to me but you can hardly expect my lord that i should hear from you such pleasant truths as you have just told me and not give you back what i believe to be truth in return have i spoken evil of any one but i will not stay here mrs houghton to make recriminations you have spoken most cruelly of a woman who never injured you who has always been your firm friend IT IS MY DUTY TO PROTECT HER, AND I SHALL ALWAYS DO SO IN ALL CIRCUMSTANCES. GOOD MORNING. THEN HE WENT BEFORE SHE COULD SAY ANOTHER WORD TO HIM. HE WOULD PERHAPS HAVE BEEN JUSTIFIED HAD HE BEEN A LITTLE PROUD OF THE MANNER IN WHICH HE HAD CARRIED HIMSELF THROUGH THIS INTERVIEW, BUT HE ENTERTAINED NO SUCH FEELING. TO THE LADY HE HAD JUST LEFT HE FEARED THAT HE HAD BEEN ROUGH AND ALMOST CRUEL. She was not to him the mass of whipped cream turned sour, which she may perhaps be to the reader. Though he had been stirred to anger, he had been indignant with circumstances rather than with Mrs. Houghton. But in truth the renewed accusation against his wife made him so wretched that there was no room in his breast for pride. He had been told that she liked Jack de Baron's little finger better than his whole body and it had been so told by one who knew both his wife and Jack de Baron. Of course there had been spite and malice and every possible evil passion at work. But then everybody was saying the same thing. Even though there were not a word of truth in it, such a rumour alone would suffice to break his heart. How was he to stop cruel tongues, especially the tongue of this woman who would now be his bitterest enemy? If such things were repeated by all connected with him, how would he be able to reconcile his own family to his wife? There was nothing which he valued now but the respect which he held in his own family and that which his wife might hold. And in his own mind he could not quite acquit her. She would not be made to understand that she might injure his honour and destroy his happiness even though she committed no great fault. To take her away with a strong hand seemed to be his duty. But then there was the dean— who would most certainly take her part, and he was afraid of the Dean. End of chapter thirty-five